Welcome to the Bible Teachers, featuring sermons from around Australia. And here is today's presenter, Adrian Dorman. Our scripture reading today comes from the book of Luke, chapter 5. Luke chapter 5 and verses 18 to 25. And this is one of my favourite stories in the Gospels. Beautiful story on how Jesus healed this man. Luke 5, verses 18 to 25. Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralysed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst of before Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said to him, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, Rise up and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralysed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Immediately he rose up before them, took up what he had been lying on, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. Shall we bow our heads just and ask the Lord's special blessing? Dear Lord, just ask for your blessing as I speak this morning. Just pray that you guide my thoughts and open our hearts to your words. May your Holy Spirit be here to impress us, Lord, with what you want to speak to us this morning. And our Lord, our these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Have you ever asked yourself why Jesus performed miracles? Jesus had a mission coming to this world. And I can imagine as he looked down upon this world, he created it. And unfortunately, we had fallen into sin. And as we know, the plan of redemption was there from a long time before this world was created. I'm sure they would have discussed who would come down. Of course, Jesus offered himself to come down. And how would Jesus minister while he was here? And we know that Jesus said that he came to do the will of his Father. And everything he did was to reveal the will of his Father. So clearly, because Jesus worked miracles, miracles were a part of the divine plan. And I say to myself, well, that's good for Jesus, but what about today? You know, uh, we don't see the types of miracles so much. There might be a rare occasion. We often hear about them in the mission field. But why don't we see so many miracles today? And uh, as we look at the way that Jesus ministered, he basically chose three avenues of ministry. I'm sure he could have chosen others. But this was, I call it, the, 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 the trinity of ministry. And uh, there's three ways that he decided to uh, minister while he was here on earth. In the book of Matthew, chapter 4, verse 23, it said that Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. Three aspects of Christ's ministry. And as I think about that, I think, you know, really, as followers of Christ, uh, we take that kind of pattern seriously. As a church, 
Of course, we have our teaching, we have our schools, we have our Sabbath schools, and we teach the Word of God and we teach the things of nature. Of course, we preach the gospel, we have evangelism, we have the sermons, but um, also we have the healing ministry as well. And the Adventist Church has been really blessed to have this threefold ministry. And the, the, many Christian churches have it, but we, in a special sense, have it as well. And we've taken it even further. And we're known now as a church that has many um, health ministries from the local church, running programs right through to hospitals, health retreats, health clinics around the world. And um, I think to myself, well, there's these three aspects of Christ's ministry. Why did Jesus choose these three? Because when you think about it, the book Desire of Ages actually says that Jesus spent more time in healing than preaching. You think, well, why did he do that? When you think about it, every person that Jesus healed died. That's not very nice to say, is it? You think, well, if Jesus healed people, didn't he give them immortal life? Well, no, we know that he didn't. So everyone that he healed, they died. So what then was the reason for his healing them? So this is what we really want to examine this morning, the reason why Jesus performed miracles. The book Medical Ministry has an interesting statement which I'd like to look at this morning a little bit. It says, Medical missionary work brings to humanity the gospel of release from suffering. It is the pioneer work of the gospel. It is the gospel practiced, the compassion of Christ revealed. So here we see four aspects here why Jesus was involved in the healing ministry and the purpose of the healing work we've been given. So first of all, it says there, it's a gospel of release from suffering. Jesus came to relieve people of pain, sickness and sadness. Um, but there was more to it than that. Um, it was a pioneer work of the gospel through the healing ministry of Jesus. Um, the way was opened up for him in many places to do his preaching and teaching. Now, I can remember um, about 10 years ago, we were invited to go to the country of Zambia to work at a, a place over there. And uh, at this place, they had a Bible training program. It was kind of the Zambian version of Arise. And uh, these uh, Bible workers would come there. They were people chosen by the conferences and the churches, and they would send them to Riverside Farm and um, to do four months training program. And uh, while I was there, my dad sent a box of Bibles over and we gave a Bible to each of the pastors and they all had their own Bibles but they were very appreciative because they had the Bibles and they could give to those in the villages um, who didn't have a Bible and those who could read and uh, it was interesting you know, to hear the stories of these Bible workers these guys were paid $70 a month that was their wage and pretty much all of them were married so they had to try and support themselves on $70 a month and so it's quite a challenge, as you can imagine, especially when things are more expensive than here in many cases. And uh, these guys would go out into villages, into unentered areas. That was the purpose of it. A little bit like this conference sends our Bible workers and they church plant. These guys were doing the same. And, uh, but many times the villages and towns uh, were reserved, not unfamiliar you know, with what happens here. And uh, they, they couldn't get into the homes. And I thought, well, how are we going to minister? Well, part of the training was they learned how to do some um, first aid and simple remedies. And um, they certainly weren't qualified to be you know, nurses or doctors. But you know what? They used what they had. And they would go out 
and they would start to look for people who had wounds and you know, had sickness and they ministered to them and they, of course they would pray with them. And it wasn't long before the door started to open up into the villages. And pretty soon they were able to start Bible studies. And it wasn't long before churches were established. Now of course they were very poor and they would build these very primitive structures. And um, this is actually one that we went to one Sabbath. Um, half of the roof was covered and half wasn't and it was in the rainy season. And halfway through the service, the, the blessings came down and flowed through the church. But you know what? It didn't bother them. They just put the umbrellas up. How would you like to put your umbrellas up today when it started to rain? But that didn't bother them. They were very, very excited. And these Bible workers, by the end of you know, three or four years, they had established three or four churches in the community. And, uh, of course, a one-day church program was a great project. And uh, we were able to go out and help to put up these one-day churches where at least the villagers had a roof over their head to keep the hot sun off and the rain in the rainy season. And when they could afford it, they'd make bricks, fill the walls up, and if they were really well off or got help from outside, they'd put in windows and doors. But, you know, they, they were grateful. And so um, we saw there that the, the, the healing ministry was an entering wedge for these Bible workers to go into these unentered territories. And uh, Jesus did the same thing. His healing work prepared the way for him to preach the gospel message. And people's hearts were opened as they experienced the healing power of Jesus. Their hearts were opened to his teaching and his preaching. It's also the gospel practice. What do we mean by that? Well, it's really a, a demonstration of the, the good news of Jesus when the good news of healing also comes. And I think of Mary Ann. Mary Ann was a, a guest who had come to our retreat from Western Australia, came for a few weeks. And um, Marianne, when she first came, she wasn't smiling like this. She was very, very reserved. And um, we thought, hmm, that's a little bit strange. Well, I wonder what's going on. But anyway, we didn't, you know, pry. And uh, we noticed after a few days she started to relax and started to smile and the creases went out of her face. And uh, we thought, that's great. She's fitting in, she's relaxing. And um, at the end of her program... I think it was the last um, lunch before she left. Uh, we always give thanks for the meals. That's one thing that we always um, do in our health retreat. Uh, we don't push religion of all, at all, but um, we do give thanks for the meals. And um, as we were lining up there at the buffet, she stopped us and she said, stop. She said, do you mind, she said, if I gave the thanks today for the meal? Well, of course, you know, we're more than happy for you to, to say the grace. And so Mary prayed. And she thanked the Lord for bringing her um, to Sidavar. And um, she said, Lord, she said, um, for what's happened here to me, she said, um, I'm inviting you back into my life. I thought, wow, that's an interesting grace. And so later on, um, obviously we were anxious to find out what was going on, what happened to her. And um, so we asked her and she said, well, look, I'll tell you the story. She said, many years ago in the West, she said, I belonged to another denomination and um, I had a bad experience. I had a real falling out. And she said, I know you left the church, she said, but I left Christianity. I put God out of my life. She said, I vowed and declared that I would never have anything to do with Christians again. Wow. And she said, when I came here, she said, I hadn't realised that you guys were Christian, uh, let alone Adventist. And uh, she said, uh, obviously she hadn't read all our website. Occasionally people don't do that. And so um, 
She said, when I came here and found out that you guys were Christian, she said, I was ready to walk out of here. And she said, I would have walked out if in any way at all, she said, you started to preach to me and, or say anything or, or pressure me. She said, but you didn't. Just ministered to me. I had my treatments and all that. And she said, I started to feel better. And she said, slowly I realised that the Spirit of God was working in my heart and I realised the hurt and the, the, um, the, the anger that I had had to be given up. And she gave that to the Lord. And she had invited the Lord back into her heart. And I think, well, that's a, a practical way of demonstrating the love of God for her was by ministering to her in the area of health. And the health was, once again, the opening door for her. And we find the same with many of our guests. They're a little bit reserved for a few days. You know, these guys are going to preach to us and are we going to be pressured? And, uh, but they're, they're relieved and soon they start to relax and enjoy themselves. And so um, that, that, that just was a little miracle. Um, that was a modern-day miracle. You say Amen. And so it's the compassion of Christ revealed. And uh, that compassion we need to see today. And so as we um, minister to the people, as we visit with them, talk with them, pray with them, sympathise with them, we're told that we wouldn't hearts. And this is the highest. It doesn't say this is just missionary work. This is the highest missionary work that you can do. So you may not be able to give Bible studies. You may not be able to preach. You may not have a lot of great skills, but let's, let's face it. You know, we can minister to people. You know, we can just talk with them, be a friend, pray with them, sympathise with them. Sometimes you may not even be able to pray with them. Um, it says that you will win hearts. Isn't that easy? That, that is so easy. And I'm so glad that God is a practical God that we can minister. So the question comes back to then, Jesus did all these miracles. He um, preached, did all these things. How successful was this healing ministry of Christ? How successful was he? And um, as I think about it, when Jesus hung on the cross, where were they all that he healed? Um, they weren't there. I mean, let's face it, even his disciples fled and left him. Slowly they grovelled back and come around the foot of the cross. And, uh, but that's thousands. I can imagine there would have been thousands because we're told whole towns and villages were healed after Jesus went through. And I think, well, this is Jesus, this is God. Surely those people would have, have given their lives to him and stood for him. But you know what? They didn't. And I think, well, does that mean that the healing ministry of Jesus was a, a failure, was a waste of time? Now, I'm, I'm certain the disciples must have thought it was the end of the, the road for their ministry. And so um, as you look at it, though, a few years down the track, we find what happened at Pentecost really reaped the results of Jesus' ministry. And we're told that when Pentecost was poured out, the Holy Spirit, the seeds that Jesus had shown, sown in their hearts through the healing ministry came to fruition at Pentecost. It wasn't until then. And this statement is amazing. And uh, I think it really plays out the way that God works. God reaches hearts through the relief, relief of physical suffering. A seed of truth is dropped into the mind and is watered by God. Much patience may be required before this seed shows signs of life, but at last it springs up and bears fruit unto eternal life. How slow men are to understand God's preparation for the day of his power. The seed sowing. I don't know about your church, but I know that um, often our churches, and I know we at Cedarvale, 
we somehow get discouraged a little bit. We do all this um, healing ministry. We do chip programs, depression recovery programs. You know, we even have hospitals and we have all this healing ministry. But you know what? We don't see a lot of fruit. You know, according to this verse here, the seed has been sown. And in God's way and God's time, the Holy Spirit will work on hearts. And when Pentecost comes again, the latter rain, we're told that the fruit there will far exceed the fruit that was gained from the early rain at Pentecost. And so isn't that encouraging? That uh, we're to keep faithful. He doesn't call us to be successful. He calls us to be faithful. And so keep sowing the seed. And yes, where you can, water it. And yes, we will see some fruit. But really, uh, we're not going to see a lot of that until the latter rain is poured out. So why did Jesus perform miracles? How effective it was? Well, we read today uh, that beautiful um, story about the man who was forgiven his sins. And uh, this is where I'd like to spend a bit of time and look at this um, story here. It's interesting that, um, first of all, Jesus heals him. He says, man, your sins are forgiven you. Now, that caused a bit of a ripple through the crowd, and especially with the Jews. They said, who can forgive sin but God alone? This is blasphemy. And um, it's interesting to know what Jesus um, then said. Um, if you have your Bibles there, actually we'll go to it here on the screen. If you have your Bibles as well, you might like to turn to it. And um, this is one of my favourite, has become anyway, one of my favourite passages in Scripture. Jesus said that, that you may know that the Son of Man has the power or authority on earth to forgive sins. I say to you, rise up and walk. So the, the, the healing there that Jesus did was an evidence of who he was. Jesus was the Messiah. He came as Messiah, came on time. And uh, as he did these healing ministries, they were signs or evidences of who he was as the Messiah. And uh, that's why the Jews were so upset with him. They weren't so upset with him doing miracles. You know, even they themselves said, perform a miracle and we'll believe. Well, we know that the, that didn't happen, but um, Jesus would go about healing as an evidence. So all those miracles that Jesus did was to sow the seed where people would realise that he was who he said he was, that he was the Messiah, the Son of God. You can remember John the Baptist and um, I invite you to turn to your Bibles for this one. I don't have this one up on the screen. Luke chapter 7, verse 2022. John the Baptist is in prison. He's been in prison for a while. And I can imagine, as we would, I, I guess, that we would get a little discouraged. Um, he had baptised Jesus. He believed that he was the Messiah. He said, behold the Lamb. So he, he knew that Jesus was the Messiah. But over time in jail, he got a little discouraged. Jesus was out there having great success. And I guess the devil implanted into John the Baptist's mind, you know, why isn't Jesus rescuing you? Why is he letting you languish in jail? Why isn't he talking about you? And so John um, sends off two of his disciples um, to see Jesus. And uh, he says in first, uh, I'll just turn to it here. He said to the um, disciples, go and ask Jesus the question, are you the one coming or do we look for another? In verse 20, it says, when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, are you the coming one or do we look for another? It's interesting you know, that Jesus doesn't actually then straight away give them an answer. 
he just, he just says, look, you know, just sit there and just watch. And what did he do in verse 21? In that very hour, he cured many of the infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits. And to many blind, he gave sight. And apparently, you read the Desire of Ages, this went on for a number of hours, just wasn't one hour. And they, they sat there all day and watched all this healing going on. And um, at the end of the day, Jesus said to the two disciples, he says, go and tell John the things that you have seen and heard. That the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised. The poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. So that the healing works that Jesus did in that day were a sign to John's disciples and then to John who he was, that he was the one to come. He was the Messiah. He was the evidence of um, who he said he was. It's interesting, you know, the story of um, the, the raising of Lazarus. I'd like to turn your Bibles to Luke. And uh, you know, as you read through the Gospels, and as I've been doing that particularly in the last few months, it's just amazing how much we see this whole concept of um, the authority of Jesus and who he was was based upon the signs that he performed and the miracles. And uh, John 11 tells a story here of um, the resurrection of um, Lazarus. And um, Jesus had come into the area there where the village was and um, Martha runs out to meet him. And uh, she says there in verse, we'll back up to verse 22, actually verse 21. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Why did she say that? Well, she knew that Jesus could heal him. She had absolute confidence that Jesus could heal. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And uh, Jesus then said to him, verse 23, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Now here Jesus takes Martha from that level of healing. He wants to take her to a deeper level now and to show her um, who he really was. And Jesus said to her in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And then she makes this fantastic declaration. She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. And so, isn't that a beautiful um, testimony? And, uh, and so it's interesting there that then um, Jesus calls Mary. And uh, it comes down. It comes to verse uh, 37. And uh, some of the people around are expressing doubt here. They're saying, could not this man, Jesus, who opened the eyes of the blind, also have kept this man from dying? So they're going back to how Martha first approached Jesus. They were you know, mumbling amongst themselves. And Jesus was groaning. And uh, you know, he thought, we are the faith of these people. And uh, let's just skip down to, um, actually, um, the end of verse 40. He said, didn't I say to you that you would see you would believe um, you would see the glory of God and so they were going to see the glory of God this day and uh, Jesus' prayer was very interesting in verse 41, he says Father I thank you that you have heard me and I know that you always hear me because of the people who are standing by I said this that they may believe that you sent me so here Jesus was saying 
this miracle I'm going to do is for the purpose of showing to them that you sent me, that I am the Messiah, the Anointed One. And with that he cried out, Lazarus, come forth. And he came forth. It's interesting uh, how the Jews responded to that. Verse 45 said that um, many of the Jews actually then believed in him. And so because of that miracle, they believed in him. And then uh, down to verse 48, um, all the Pharisees are gathered together there and they said, if we let him do this, everyone will believe in him. And so the Jews had to stop Jesus from doing miracles because the people were believing in him. And so uh, isn't it amazing how you want to stop someone from doing miracles because of the good that they're doing? And so um, this was um, Christ's work to do. This was the reason for his ministry. So the miracles and works of Christ confirmed his mission as the Messiah. Today, Jesus has proved that. He's shown that. We have the scriptures. Jesus died on the cross. We know that he was anointed one. And as we study the Bible, we realize that Jesus truly was the saviour of the world. Of course, we have the prophecies, Daniel 9 and things like that, to also um, back that up. And uh, how else do we know that Jesus is the Messiah? Well, as we look at the things in nature and uh, the beautiful world we live in, yes, it is blighted by sin, the effects of sin, but still we see the beauty of nature around, especially in springtime. And uh, to me, that is one of the major evidences that God is alive and well. And of course, we have... uh, Baby's been born. I remember when I did my nurse's training at the sand. I was one of the unfortunate guys that was chosen to go and work in labour ward. And I thought, what a miserable place to work. And um, blood and gore everywhere. And uh, I think I was the second guy to be allowed in the labour ward. And uh, you know what? Every time I saw a baby born, and of course later on I saw my own kids being born, I got a real thrill. Here's a baby, a new life being born. And it just really touched my heart. Now, I enjoyed that month in Labour Ward. Um, and even the head nurse said, oh, I wish you could stay here longer and work. And I said, oh, I'm out of here. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, it's amazing. And the parents of the babies, you know, their hearts were touched. And I know many times we shared about this was a miracle from God. And so the birth is a wonderful thing to see. And so we do see miracles, don't we? We see it in the nature around about us. In, um, in the birth of a child. It's a beautiful thing to see. So how does God work today? Yes, in nature, through um, babies being born, things like that. But um, what about for our health? Well, God has given us what we call, for healthy living, these eight laws outlined in the book Ministry of Healing. And uh, we're told that these eight laws of health are very important. Well, you know, sometimes we look upon law as the do's and don'ts, not as blessings. And uh, it's interesting that these principles that God has given us, these laws of health, are there for health and healing. They're there for our blessing. In actual fact, right back there, when he was leading the children of Israel out of Egypt, um, God says to Israel, this is um, very interesting, he says, if you will diligently obey the Lord your God and do that which is right in his sight and pay attention to his commandments and keep all his statutes, then all the diseases I have brought upon you upon the Egyptians, sorry, I will not bring on you, for I, the Lord, am your healer. So here it says, look, you know, if you follow my laws of health, you're not going to have the diseases the Egyptians had. And here it says that um, he would bring these diseases upon the Egyptians. Now we often think, well, that maybe that God cursed them in some miraculous way. 
that if the law of God, the health laws, were going to keep the children of Israel from getting those diseases, well, then surely the reasons why the Egyptians got the diseases were because they weren't following the health laws, right? Makes sense, doesn't it? And so it wasn't because of some miraculous curse. There was a reason for it. And so we can say, well, what were these things the Egyptians dying of? What was it? And it's interesting that Dr. Rosalie David from Manchester University in the UK, she's done actually thousands of autopsies on Egyptian mummies. How would you like that for a job? Be a bit of a dead-end job, wouldn't it? But just opening those people up and working on those dead tissues that are thousands of years old, I don't know if they smelt or not, but I'm sure it didn't look very good. But what they would do, they'd actually take the organs out, reconstitute them, and they could actually determine what they were dying of. They put them through, as you see there, through CT scanners, did CT scans, and they could actually see um, you know, the types of diseases they had. And surprise and surprises, you know, there's some familiar diseases there. They know that they ate the rich foods, and of course, of all those rich foods, and you know, might say today we'd call it maybe fast food or refined processed foods, um, their arteries were clogged, and they had heart disease, diabetes, arthritis, and many of the rich were obese. And so um, these are the diseases that God said that um, the children of Israel could avoid if they followed his guidelines. And uh, it's amazing, you know, I've had the privilege of working in four or five health retreats around various places. And it's just been exciting to me that um, we can see miracles take place as people follow these laws that God has given. And um, this is an, an interesting statement here that says, Healthful outdoor exercise combined with hygienic or water treatments, will work, and there's an interesting word, miracles, in restoring and invigorating the diseased body and refreshing the worn and weary mind. Does anybody here ever have a weary mind? Uh, many of us, I'm sure. But here it says that if we do that, those two things, that we'll experience a miracle. And here's another one for you. We cannot expect the Lord to work a miracle for us while we neglect the simple remedies he has provided for our use which, aptly and opportunely applied, will bring about, there's that word again, miraculous results. Amazing, isn't it? So we can see these miracles. So natural means as we use them, used in accordance with God's will, bring about supernatural, you might say miraculous results. We ask for a miracle, and the Lord directs the mind to some simple remedy. So these laws that God has given us are there for our blessings. They're not there to restrict us from what we can't have. Um, They're there to be a blessing. And it's just incredible. Um, as we see our guests, um, and I'm sure that many of you, as you do your health programs, you see the changes that happen in people's lives. Nothing short of miraculous. And uh, there's something there about as we obey God's laws that we receive a blessing. And, uh, and it's a really wonderful thing to see. And, of course, you all know this statement here very uh, well, I'm sure. It's a famous one from the Ministry of Healing where it says, Christ's method alone will bring true success in reaching the people. The Saviour mingled with men as one who desired their good. He showed his sympathy for them, ministered to their needs, and won their confidence. Then he bade them, follow me. And so as people um, experience the healing power of Jesus, as they follow and they come in, you might say, into line with his um, health principles, they actually experience blessings. And um, as they experience those blessings, their confidence is won, and um, then they're ready to follow Jesus. So these acts of kindness or works uh, are actually 
for the Christian as they are for Jesus. Remember, for Jesus, his healing works was an evidence of, the, um, of who he was, the Messiah. But they also, for us as Christians, are the fruit or evidence of saving faith. And as we do those works, we actually glorify our Father in heaven. We reveal actually the character of God. Remember Jesus said, Father, I've come to glorify your name here on earth. And as Jesus did all those works, preaching, teaching, healing, he was glorifying his Father on earth. Why? So that they may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. And um, my challenge is for us as Christians is, do people know that Jesus has the power to forgive sin? And uh, this is the purpose why we have um, the ministries the way we do. Of course, the greatest miracle was that man who was lowered down through the roof. He had his sins forgiven. My friend, that was just a miracle. That was a miracle just as much as him getting up and walking. But him getting up and walking was a sign of the healing that he had in his heart. And the greatest miracle that can happen is when Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, comes into our lives. And um, as Jesus comes into our hearts and minds, our sins are forgiven, we receive a new birth. Just like the baby being born is a miracle, so we can experience the healing, miraculous power of Jesus Christ. When he comes into our hearts, he forgives our sins and makes us right with him. And for me, that is the greatest miracle. And uh, I just like today, my prayer is that each of us will accept Jesus as Messiah into our hearts that we'll give him our all, that we'll follow him, we'll keep his um, commandments, not because they're burdensome, but because he wants to free us. He wants to experience the best in life. And uh, it's just so exciting to see um, the work that God wants to do in our lives as we follow him. And uh, so today my prayer is that each of us will experience the, the miracles of Jesus, the miracle healing of Jesus, and most of all, the healing from sin and the gift of eternal life that he gives us. That one day soon... We, with Lazarus and all those that Jesus will heal, will um, you know, be ready for Jesus to come. And those who have passed on, he'll call them to life again, just as he did to Lazarus. And those of us who are alive and remain will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. We'll be with him for eternity. Won't that be wonderful? Amen. To walk, to work with Jesus, to work with him, to be co-laborers with him. The good news is we can start now. Lord, we're amazed that it took a miracle. We thank you, Lord, for coming down to this world and living amongst us. We thank you for the miracles that you did. We thank you, Lord, that uh, not only did you heal people physically, but you healed them spiritually and mentally too. We thank you, Lord, that you want to come into our hearts and lives. And, Lord, may we do that every day to allow the cleansing power of Jesus Christ to cleanse us from all our sins, that we may live for you and not for ourselves. And we just pray, Lord, that one day soon we'll see you come in the clouds of heaven. And, Lord, we look forward to that time when we'll see many miracles take place when the dead will rise. And we will all realise, Lord, that the miracle of grace um, is for us all. And the only reason why we're there is because of that beautiful miracle of grace. We ask these things in your name. Amen.
Tis written in the sky. was It Took a Miracle by the First Four Gospel Quartet, and now we are listening to Everlasting Love by The Wilds.
Coming up, Maddie Cooperus brings us the song, The Touch of His Hand. When shadows are dark and drear, a friend comes to bring me cheer. The face of my Savior I see. He offers his love to me, compassion and sympathy. His loving hand is reaching out to me. Hope you enjoy the short presentation on the history of the Reformation from lineagejourney.com. In the early centuries, Rome would lay down the challenge. Either abide by how we want you to live or leave your place of residence and leave your place of worship. And the Waldensians treasured God's word more than they treasured their home. And so they would leave and go up into the mountains. Life would not have been easy here in the Waldensian Valley. The children growing up would have had to learn very quickly the lessons of self-sacrifice and self-denial, frugality and economy. Their parents treasured these principles from the Bible and they wished to bestow them upon their children. They treasured them so much that they retreated up here. 
And here in the mountains, they wanted to teach two things. Number one, they wanted to teach them purity of life based on God's word. And number two, they wanted to teach them to be a missionary and take the faith that they had and take it further afield than just the valleys in which they live. And so they would have schools up here and they would have places of worship, sometimes in caves, where they could teach their children and their young people how they could go out as missionaries and share this message. The Waldensians fervently believed in the Bible. They believed that they should follow it, and they treasured it. The Waldensians believed in the commandments of God that had been given through the Bible, and they sought to keep them. And they were often persecuted for their faith and had to retreat up to the, the higher valleys. And, and here in this place of worship, it's, a, it's just a cave. Today, you come here, you have to creep down through the entrance to get in. The, the rock walls are on each side. But here in this cave, it's almost a sacred spot. It's a place where they would gather together for worship, but also at times they would gather together to hide from the Roman soldiers. To me, it's encouraging to know that even when they were scattered in the mountains, they would still find time to worship together. And I believe it's very important that we today meet together with fellow believers and worship. But the thing that stands out to me here in this place of, that's not that pretty by earthly standards. There's no gold-plated pulpit. There's no marble table. There's just rocks. They're wet. But it's the quietness and the peace and the simplicity and the purity of this place that is striking is that if these Waldensians would gather here, not just once, it wasn't just a one-off, it may have been repeatedly, it may have been over years, or may have been even over decades, that they would gather together to worship in caves like this that are dotted around these mountains. For us, church is so comfortable or so convenient. I'm sat on a cold rock, but oftentimes in church we sit on nice comfy chairs. The heating may be on, it may just be five miles from our house or just down the road, and yet sometimes we think, ah, uh, I'm not too keen to go. And I think back to myself, yourself, wherever we are. We have a time of relative peace, a time of relative freedom, where we can gather together and worship, where we can meet fellow believers. And my appeal is, don't waste the opportunities that you have. Don't be so comfortable or so convenient that we miss the opportunities that we do have. God has given us great opportunities now. Let's take advantage and use them and take this message to the world around us. To view more episodes in this series on the Reformation, go to lineagejourney.com. It's time for Balanced Living with Vicki Griffin. Free on the inside, changing bad habits for good. Habits, we all have them. American author Albert Hubbard said, Habit 
is the great economizer of energy. He was exactly right. Habits are our friends when they're good ones. Habits are routines that help us repeat safe and effective behaviors and build consistency and security into our lives. But bad habits can become addictions. In the past, the term addiction was used only to refer to problems with substances such as drugs, alcohol, or nicotine. But addictions can include many behaviors and activities, including gambling, shopping, overwork, sex, internet abuse, and food. A hallmark of addiction is continued self-destructive behavior despite adverse consequences. When an addiction develops, what is happening in the brain? For one thing, the pleasure circuits in the brain become hijacked by the addictive substance or behavior, producing intense cravings. Addictions have many possible roots, including emotional, spiritual, physical, environmental, and genetic. Addictions are strong, but the weapons available to win the war against addiction are even stronger. In any war, it's important to have a plan in order to achieve a decided victory. If you think you have an addiction, work closely with a team healthcare professional, and especially if the addiction includes drugs or alcohol. Can bad habits be broken? Well, God has designed the human brain, even in adulthood, with a powerful capacity to reshape itself according to what it learns and even grow new connections or neurons. Psychiatrist John Rady explains, Experiences, thoughts, actions, and emotions actually change the structure of our brains. By viewing the brain as a muscle that can be weakened or strengthened, we can exercise the ability to determine who we become. Indeed, once we understand how the brain develops, we can train our brains for health, vibrancy, and longevity. Good habits can become just as strong as bad ones. Creating good habits works the same way as creating bad habits. Doing the same thing over and over and over sets a pattern in the brain that creates a habit. Potent, powerful, and protective weapons are available to help you make and maintain permanent change over time. They include creating an environment, internally and externally. Pay attention to your internal environment, your thoughts. Cultivate thankfulness in the place of negativity. What you make up your mind to be, you will be. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Proverbs 23, 7. John Rady states it this way. We can actually change our brains by altering the external environment or the internal environment of our bodies. We can take better advantage of our strengths and amend our weaknesses. One necessary precursor to change, though, is often a change in attitude. Pay attention to your external environment, the things that surround you. Make sure your surroundings are helping you, not hurting you. Create an environment where it's easier to make the positive choice. Remove temptation. Practice new behaviors. For example, place a fresh bowl of fruit on the counter to replace the candy dish or ashtray. Keep your walking shoes by the door. Have your gym bag in the car for ready access. Create a lifestyle. 
Positive lifestyle choices protect the brain and body, making it easier to cope with stress and enjoy new things to do in life. Daily exercise improves learning, increases energy, and lowers anxiety. Eating plenty of fresh fruits, vegetables, whole grains, beans, and nuts builds mental strength and eases stress. Regular rest and plenty of water refresh the body and mind and prepare it for new challenges. Create connections. Get connected with friends who will encourage you in your new choices. Personal growth takes place as we interact with others. Connecting with church and community resources makes our world bigger than our circumstances. It creates opportunities for giving, receiving, and learning communication skills and building meaningful experiences. Connections can provide support and accountability that increase long-term success. Strengthen and establish a deep connection with God. This is the only way to have the real power to make positive choices and stick with them over time. God will help you discover your true values and purpose in life. He will give you a new heart, new direction, a new purpose, and a new plan. We've all heard the expression, practice makes perfect. Purposeful repetition builds good habits. The more times a positive thought or action is repeated, the more it is cemented in the brain. Successful people are not mistake-free. They just refuse to give up. Adopting healthful habits of living and thinking requires determination. But knowing that the brain can recover from addictions and move forward provides hope. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not rely on your own insight. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. You can trust your Redeemer. He died to create a new heart in you, new desires, new motives, new strength. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. Yes, I will uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. Isaiah 41.10 God sees your potential. You are here for a reason. Jesus is reaching out to you. Will you take his hand right now and say, Yes, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Strengthen me and guide me in your way. You've been listening to Balanced Living, presented by Vicki Griffin. This program has been brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio.